I went from panic attack about money to owning a cash flowing asset that was paying itself and paying me. And then the bank gave me access to about $25,000 on a line of credit. So like freaking out yeah. to $25,000 on a line of credit, like it was just so mind blowing to me. Like I knew I found the thing that was gonna take care of my family financially for the rest of our lives if I was gonna be able to scale it properly. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Mr. Henry Washington, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. This is pretty incredible. This yeah. is a, a pretty fancy shop you got going on over it's here. It's not too bad, right? It's I not will, too bad. I, I am envious. <laughs> well, good. We're going to make you even more uh, more envious as we get into your story. Well, you wouldn't be envious of your own story. Uh, no. 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 But you're going to be envious of how great of an uh, interview My story will sound so much better and look so much cooler in the telling shed. it in the show. Oh, yeah. dude, you got this. So Henry, I know you as a real estate investor. I know you got over a hundred doors. I know you are a master of creative finance, a master of deal finding. I know you as the host of the Bigger Pockets on the Market podcast, one yeah. of the hosts there, uh, which is a phenomenally popular, amazing show. I know you as a speaker, a coach. I know you're a soon-to-be author. You got a book coming out soon, a published author, which is exciting. Yeah, I know all those things about you, and most people maybe do. But take us back. Yeah. Before all that, who was? Henry Washington. Man, that's a cool question. Growing up, man, I grew up in a household. You know, it's funny. I grew up in a household where my father and my stepmother were high school teachers. Mm. And, um, you know, really good high school teachers, passionate about teaching and helping people. Um, but, you know, about teacher salaries, yeah. right? Underpaid for the work that they do. And so my father, growing up, always had a side hustle or a side business. And he never like sat me down and said, hey, you need to have businesses. Like we never had that conversation. He always sat me down and said, you're gonna go to college. Mm. You're gonna get a degree and you're gonna get, get a good job and climb the corporate ladder. Like that was like pounded into my brain, like from his words. But his actions showed me that I can own a business and run a business and make money on the side. And so, None of that really kind of like blossomed within me until it was time for me to have my own business. And so I haven't really talked about real estate from this perspective before, but when I got to the point when I decided that I was going to invest in real estate, I didn't have a fear of like starting a business. You know, there's a lot of people who have a fear amongst like, should I start a business? All these businesses fail. I'm like, is this something that I should do? Like, I never had that fear. I was just like, I'll start a real estate investment company. Like, I'll just do that. Mm. And I think a lot of that came from me seeing my dad run so many side businesses. When I was very, very young, he used to grow plants at home. He's got a green thumb. He would grow plants and flowers and things at home. And then he would like pot them and then take them and sell them at the swap meet. So he'd get a booth at the swap meet and he'd sell them at the swap meet for extra money when I was very, very little. And then as I got older, he ended up, he owned an arcade. This is back when you had to like go to a place to play video games. Yeah. You couldn't just like yeah. turn them on in your living room. And so, uh, yeah, he bought used arcade machines and he'd fix them up and then he would put them in his arcade and people would come pay nickels at the time 
and then, uh, you know, turned into quarters eventually, but people would come to the arcade and play video games. And so I have all these memories of like old video game machines in my garage and my friends all wanted to come to my house because I had like free video games in the garage. And then the, towards the, the latter part of my childhood, he owned and operated a barbecue restaurant. And so that came to be because his mother, my grandmother, lived with us because he was raised in New York. And so when he moved to California to teach, he brought her out here. And he saw her outside one day picking weeds in the garden because she was bored. And he was like, well, like, I need to have her have something to do. And he'd always had this idea, he loves to cook. And so he started a barbecue restaurant to kind of give her a job in the daytime. And she would yeah. manage the restaurant in the daytime. He would cook the food and then manage it at night. And so I grew up doing my homework in a barbecue restaurant. Like that's just all my friends would come eat there. Like he did that until I went to college. So it was about 10 years he owned that restaurant. So I saw him operate all these businesses successfully. Um, and I just, I think it, it did a lot for me of like removing the fear or the stigma around like, should I start a business? Is this something I can do? I saw my dad do it my whole life. Yeah. So you, he, it wasn't that he was telling you, you had to go and do this, but yeah. you kids do what they see. Yeah. What do you hope your kids see? You, you got a couple of them, right? Yeah. What do you hope that they see and learn from you, from your actions? Uh, a couple of things, man. I want them to see that we put God first in everything that we do. We instill a lot of prayer time with our kids. We pray every night. And my daughter, my five-year-old says the most beautiful, amazing prayers. Mm, um, Love it. And then I want them to see that, you know, the results that you get are a function of the work that you put in and you don't have to do things the way everybody tells you that you need to do things. I've, I don't think I've ever really done said differently. I did, I did kind of, I did the, the, the go to school, get the degree, get the job route. But I never really felt like people see themselves in retirement. Like I never saw myself retiring from corporate. Like I didn't know where I would be or how I would be yeah, there, yeah. but I didn't see myself as like a 60 year old guy in corporate America. I don't, I just never had that vision for myself. So I hope that they see that they can do literally anything that they want to do. And I hope that they see that. And it's not because somebody's just telling them you can be all that you want to be, but you can actually see that you can have an idea in your brain and you can turn it into actuality if you put God first and put the work in. Dude, that's so good. I mean, so many parents tell their kids, you can do whatever you want if you yeah. try. And then their actions, though, yeah. show that, no, you can't. You yeah. have to work a nine-to-five job that you hate, yeah. and you're going to fight with all your, your, your family, and you're going to be miserable <laughs> your whole life. Yeah. So they're saying one thing, you can do whatever you want. You can yeah. have a great life. And then the parents are not demonstrating that. So it's almost like you as a parent have a responsibility to be the best version of yourself because your kids are watching. They're not yeah. going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do. And if you're living a small life, they're going to live a small life. The second half of this year, or well, I guess you could say the middle half, the middle portion of this year to now ending this year, I have been just, it's really been hitting home with me that the solution to, you know, quote unquote, my problems and my, my problems aren't like, I'm not saying I have problem. My problems to me are like, we are now growing and scaling. We're hiring a team. I have other people that are responsible on my success, right? They're feeding their families yeah. based on the work that we are doing. And now I've got these kids, they're at the age where they're remembering things. Right? Yeah. It's not like they're babies anymore. They're Probably remembering five things. And... Five and almost three. Yeah. And I'm just starting to see that you know, I've always been an investor who has felt comfortable with what I've built. I've kind of just figured it out, right? And it's gotten me far to just say, I'm just going to go do some stuff and it's going to work out. And now that I have so many people, so many little eyes watching that I want to have a 
positive impression on and other people whose families are relying on my business to be successful, it's shown me that I have this responsibility to grow and scale. Mm. And before I didn't feel that responsibility. I just felt like I'll do what I want to do. And if I don't want to do it, I won't do it. And I think there's still some aspect of that. I'm not going to do a business that I don't want to do, but I now find myself looking at deals or looking at opportunities and thinking like, is this worth the time or the effort? Is this going to produce the result that's going to allow me to take care of my kids in the way that I want to take care of them or to take care of my employees in the way that I want them to be taken care of. And all of that has drawn me to this conclusion that like in order for me to grow and scale my business, I've got to grow like in scale as a person. Like mm -hmm. I've got to be the best person that I can be or a better version of myself. I can't get to new levels of growth by being the same person I was that got here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of a wake up call, but it's been positive. Yeah, dude. I, you know, when you talk about employees like that, a lot of people will say to me and they probably say to you, like, when's enough enough? Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about that. I've talked about it a few times on this show of people saying, when's enough enough? Because I get that a fair amount. Like, yeah. why do you need a billion dollars of real estate? I'm like, yeah. I don't need a billion dollars of real estate. But if I had a billion dollars of real estate, I'm going to have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of employees yeah. that put food on the table. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, your life ceases to be about how do I put food on my table? Yeah. And you shift to a mode of significance that says, how do I put food on their table yeah. and their table? And that is why, yeah, it's not just about me. I'm hungry. <laughs> Alex is hungry. He, <laughs> Alex wants food on his table. So how do I get food on Alex's table? And, yeah. and yes, will I get a nicer car because of it? Probably. Will I get a nicer house? Great. That's yeah. the rewards of providing yeah. meals on other people's tables. I look at it as a responsibility that I've been yeah. given. And, you know, this part of the story I've told before, when I did my first deal, you know, 90 days before I did my first deal, I had a panic attack mm. because I didn't know how I was going to take care of my family financially. I knew I wasn't making good financial decisions. I knew that where I was financially wasn't going to get the job done. Had a panic attack, found real estate through a Google search and just, you know, one thing led to another in my pursuit of this real estate journey. And in 90 days, I closed on my first deal. And, you know, a lot happened in that 90 days that tactically got me there. The point of that story is once I closed on that deal, and, and mind you, I bought this house 90 days before that I knew nothing. I didn't know that normal people bought real estate. I yeah. just thought like rich people and corporations owned real estate. And so to go from that level of understanding to actually owning a rental property that was cash flowing that I didn't, I only had $1,000 in my savings account. So I only put $1,000 of my own money into this deal and had bad credit. So I like helped fix my credit in that time. And all of these doors and obstacles opened and got out of my way for me to be able to own this property. And the second I closed on it, the bank asked me, did I want to take a line of credit out, the equity in the property so that I could do more deals. And so I went from panic attack about money to owning a cash flowing asset that was paying itself and paying me. And then the bank gave me access to about $25,000 on a line of credit. So like freaking out yeah. to $25,000 on a line of credit, like it was just so mind blowing to me. Like I knew I found the thing that was gonna take care of my family financially for the rest of our lives if I was gonna be able to scale it properly. And the first feeling that I felt wasn't happiness. Like I was happy, don't get me wrong, but the feeling I felt in my gut was just this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Like mm. I didn't think that God led me down this path of finding real estate and opening all these doors so that I could get to this first property so that I could have a nice house or a nice car. Like I just, like that didn't make sense to me. I just knew that he wanted me to share this with people. Mm. Like he wanted me to show other people 
that this was absolutely a possibility for them. And I've just kind of been on that journey ever since. And so I think like this is a part of that too. Like we've been blessed with this responsibility to be the best we are and, and do the best we can with our businesses because we do, we get to employ people and take care of other people through the businesses that we create. And if we do it in a positive way and can, you know, I, I pride myself on the kinds of people who work for me and the hearts that they have. I tell, I tell my wife teases me all the time because it sounds funny. I tell her, I was like, I hire hearts. Mm. And if I can get good hearts around me, like I can, I can teach you the how. Yeah. Right. But I want good people and that are employed by me. And then it just makes me want to work harder for them. So it's like this responsibility because if they don't go work for me, then they go work for somebody else. And maybe yeah. that it's a terrible situation for them. Yeah. You know, you bring up an interesting point. I never really thought about it before, but I think that this modern experiment of let's segment people into little pieces of a job that they probably hate and they mm -hmm. commute for an hour and they work for eight to 10 hours and they commute an hour home and they're so tired and they hate every minute of it. And that's majority of the world today, at least the mm -hmm. definitely majority of Americans. I wonder if like God looks at that and just says, mm -mm. Yeah. like, no, yeah. this is not. And so maybe the point of us getting good at real estate and being good at educating people is not to get ourselves super wealthy and yeah. rich off of education, which many people can get wealthy and rich off education, but it's almost more of like a, there's a better way to life yeah. than just, and it doesn't be real estate, it could be entrepreneurship, it could mm -hmm. be, a business you love. It could be going back to blue collar work and like, you know, being an electrician, whatever the thing is, there's just, there's more to life than the nine to five cubicle that yeah. the drudgery It's more to life than just having a job you don't love. And so like, I'm going to keep shouting that from the rooftops, whether I make a dime from it or not. Yeah. Oof, we've been there to those jobs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, I want to go actually a little deeper into that 90 days, what it took to get that property in 90 days. But before we get there, mm -hmm. I want to jump into this week's uh, show sponsor. Now, one thing on this show that we do is every week we bring out a sponsor or two or three but all the ad revenue from the show goes to a charity of your choice as the guest. So where should we throw the money from this episode? What breaks your heart, man? The charity that we are donating to or we would like to donate to is called Saving Grace NWA. And so what uh, Saving Grace NWA, NWA stands for Northwest Arkansas. That's where we live. And what Saving Grace NWA does is provide uh, housing and education and counseling to women who have aged out of the foster system. Mm. Yeah. Why does that, uh, why does that affect you? Like, why, why does that matter to you? People don't choose their parents, mm. you know, and my wife especially has always had a heart to, to foster. We haven't fostered yet. We've got our, you know, our own, we're just learning how to be parents yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Our, to our two young kids, but she's always had a heart for fostering. And my father was an unofficial foster parent. I don't know if that's a, you know, a fancy way of saying illegal, but he was, <laughs> he was an unofficial foster parent. So what happened during my childhood so right after my mom, my mom's, yeah, right after my mother got pregnant with me, my dad had a really, really good friend who got into some legal trouble. Um, he was a doctor and got into some legal trouble and had to go to jail. And his wife was uh, on drugs and they had two young pre-teenage boys at the time. And this guy called my dad from jail. And mind you, my wife, my, his wife is, you know, about to have me. They're about to be parents for the first time. And he's like, Hank, I need you to go get my kids. They're living by themselves. And it was about four hours away. They were in Northern California. And so my dad had a choice to make, right? And he chose to put his pregnant wife in a car, drive four hours north to, to Sacramento and pick these two boys up, put them in the car 
and drive them back home and give them a place to live until who knows yeah. when, right? There was no end date. There was no contract. There was no, you know, they didn't have anywhere else to go. And so he essentially raised them until they were seniors in high school or one was a senior. I think one was a junior in high school. And then they went back with their dad when they, when they could. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot for, yeah for a new parent. But, uh, you know, I always say it takes a man to raise children, but it takes a hell of a man to raise somebody else's kids. And, uh, you know, he did that, no questions asked. And so if they didn't have that, who knows where they would have ended up. And so there are people who are in the foster system, don't have comfortable homes. And if you age, you know, everybody wants to foster babies or, you know, Mm -hmm. toddlers or young kids. And there's plenty of people who don't get that opportunity. So they need help. Powerful stuff, man. Let's run the ad. I know I'm interrupting, but it's worth it. Trust me. If you're an existing investor, a real estate investor, I'm guessing you've experienced the story I'm about to tell you. And if you haven't invested yet, well, you're going to experience this. Look, when you land a deal, you're really excited about it. You go to get a loan. And then the lender asks for like 4 million documents. They ask for the same document multiple times. They screw up the timing. They go way too long. They make you get an extension. Sometimes the deal falls apart and it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me over and over and over. And that's why I'm excited to announce my new real estate lending company, Better Life Real Estate Funding, or for short, the Better Life Ref. I built it specifically for real estate investors. Not just normal like homeowners who want a cute little house and their cute front porch and their cute kitchen, but for real estate investors, because we're a little weird with our loan needs, right? So check us out right now and talk with a loan concierge for free at betterliferef.com. That's betterliferef.com. All right, dude. So let's get back into real estate journey a little bit. You know, like a lot of the shows we've done on this uh, podcast have been loosely around real estate i'd love to tie in a little bit more heavily because you are i mean one of america's like foremost experts on educating people about real estate i will take that yeah dude so like i can't pass up a time but i want to go into your 90 days like you you had a thousand dollars to your name yeah you're like i have to do real estate even if i could backtrack a a step before that why did you even choose real estate there's a million options to make money in the world index funds or you could do entrepreneurship open up a mcdonald's franchise like why did you choose real estate what appealed to you yeah, you know, it resonated with me. And I, I don't have a, a super sexy answer for why. When I was in the midst of that panic attack, I literally Googled like ways I could make extra money. I was looking for like side hustles, anything that was going to produce extra income. And a couple of things happened. I kept seeing articles from Bigger Pockets because that was like the heyday of the forums, yeah. right? Like that's when everybody was super active on the forums. And I was seeing all these forum posts and I was like, this is just regular people. Like mm. I didn't know this was a thing. And real estate resonated with me because I've always been interested in it from a retail perspective. Like I was the guy, like my wife and I, we would go to open houses that we had no business going to (laughs) like for houses we could not afford just because we liked seeing the insides of people's homes. If it was still today, if there's an open house in my neighborhood, like that I live in now, we'd go (laughs) to it. Yeah. (laughs) Like literally we did this like two weeks ago. That's awesome. There was a sense of comfortability with it because I, I just liked it from the retail side. The second thing is I ended up landing on a, on a TEDx talk during this panic attack when I was looking and this TEDx talk was titled, uh, how to design your dream life through passive income. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're having a panic attack about not making money and mm-hmm. you see a video called how to design your dream life through passive income, will you watch that video? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, this video was by, uh, uh it was like the, at, at the time, this guy, I think he was 20 something years old. He had about 25. 26 doors in the UK. 
and he was saying, hey, I built my financial freedom through real estate, but uh, the whole point of the goal was just the concept of passive income, which was new to me at the time. And he was like, look, you don't have to be a bajillionaire to retire. He was like, you just need to figure out what it costs you to live each month and then find some passive income stream that pays you that much. And then you can choose to work or not. And like, it just hadn't, like, I never thought about that level one financial freedom like yeah. that. Like it just, that wasn't, a, I didn't know. And so I was like, well, if this kid figured it out, like I gotta be able to figure it out. And so like, it was that moment in that video that I was like, all right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do what this kid did. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I have a thousand dollars and bad credit, but I'll go figure it out. And um, I was so confident in it. Like I was so confident in that decision. I woke up the next morning and I told my wife, I said, we're gonna be real estate investors. <laughs> and I expected that response from her. <laughs> I expected that laugh from her, but she said, okay. And looking back now, my financial plan up until this point was to spend all of our money and then try to live off credit cards until we got paid again. Yeah, so yeah. if Good I plan. came to her with an idea that was like, we're going to do something that's going to make money. She was like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Please, let's do that. So she was like, she was supportive from day one. And I think that that made my journey a lot easier because when I came to her, we bought our first house using a 401k loan. Mm. And so I didn't have a 401k to loan from because I wasn't smart with my money. And so when I learned about the concept of like, you're able to leverage a 401k and borrow from it and then use that borrowed funds to buy property that then pays you and pays back the loan, I was like, yeah, let's do that. So I had to go to her. She's the one out of 401k. Oh, funny. And I was like, remember when I woke up in the morning and said, <laughs> we're going to be real estate investors? Well, we need to borrow 20K from your 401k to buy this house. And without hesitation, she said, all right, let's do it. Had the money in like a week. Where does that trust from your wife come from? She like, <laughs> uh, she's foolish. <laughs> she's, I've got her fooled is where that comes from. I don't know. We've always been brutally honest with each other just as we were getting to know each other. You know, we married later in life, I guess, than, than most people get married for me. And she had been through a couple of relationships that didn't work, you know, quote unquote, the traditional way. And so, you know, when she met me, you know, she said, I want to do things different with you. Just the way I was doing it before isn't working. And so we waited till we got married to have sex. And like, like that wasn't a thing for yeah. me previously or, you know, and so all of these things that were different, we just approached things different. We were honest with each other. We would call it like just being just brutally honest with each other about our past. And and I think that that just built a lot of trust. I'm lucky that she, tr she had no reason, Brandon, to trust me financially. <laughs> She, I gave her zero reason to be like, yeah, we should do whatever you say financially. Guy who doesn't have savings yeah. and spends all his money. But well, um, I made this point on an Instagram video lately, yeah. uh, recently. When men do what they say they're going to do in other areas of their life, it yeah. transfers over to all areas of your life when it comes yeah. to your spouse, right? So when you continually tell your wife you're going to take out the garbage and then you don't, and then you go to them and say, I want to invest in real estate or I want to open up this bookstore or yeah. I want to write, you know, be a speaker. You've already destroyed the trust yeah. that may have been there at the beginning or maybe it was never built at all because you've shown them that you are a liar. Mm -hmm. I mean, to put yeah. it bluntly, yeah. right? Yeah. And so whenever I hear men say or women say that they said suggested real estate or suggested some thing that seems kind of crazy and they were immediately like, yeah, let's do it. It's because I believe like you built up. A circle of trust in yes. there, right? And that brutal honesty, it says like, they can say, look, I know this person like well enough to know that if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do that thing. Yeah. And therefore they're more okay with it. So what I said in this video is if your spouse or your significant other is not 
okay with you getting into whatever venture you want to do. That's because you have you, you most likely you have somehow hurt that trust in the yeah. past and you need to look very hard at whether or not you're lying to them in other areas, even small areas of your life. Yeah. I'm going to be home at 10, you're home at 11, or I'm going to take out, do the dishes tonight and you don't, or I'm going to give you a back rub tonight and then you fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah build that well, trust. Yeah. No, that's, that is powerful because that's 100% true. I think you have to follow through on especially little things. My, my dad was big on, you know, as, as a man, you stick to your word. Yeah. And even if by the time it comes to you cashing in on what you said, it doesn't seem like something you want to do, you still got to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I think I learned a lot just from watching him and how he operated. You know, to take that one step further, I heard, once heard, uh, actually, I think it was that Bigger Pockets conference a few years ago, David Osborne was speaking yeah. and he talked about integrity and the idea that integrity, you know, when you have a pattern of trust with your spouse, mm-hmm. you build up that reputation of integrity and so they believe you and then they support you. He said that the same thing applies to yourself and your subconscious. Yeah. If you continually tell yourself, I'm going to go to the gym and then you don't go and you continually tell yourself, I'm going to go you know, eat healthy tonight and you don't, you are telling yourself that you should not trust yourself mm-hmm. and that you are an unreliable person. And then when it says, I'm going to go and invest in real estate, that's why you don't go and analyze deals and you don't go make offers because you've already stopped believing yourself. And so there's no personal integrity. It's like this subconscious self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. you're yeah. living out. Yeah. It's what it is. And so not just doing what you're saying you're going to do to your, those people around you, and to your kids, especially like I, I want my kids to, if I ever say something, I'm not perfect as but then my goal is if I ever say I'm going to do something, I want to see my, I want my kids to see me do that thing. Yeah. No matter what that is. Cause I want them to say, oh, that's what a man does. Yeah. And so I want Wilder to look at me and say, that's what I want to be. And I want my wife or my daughter to say, I want to marry someone like that someday. Yeah. And we'll never be perfect in that parenting. <laughs> that's the goal, man. Absolutely. All right. So you got that first deal, you used a 401k loan. Yeah. For those who don't know, can you just explain like, how does that work? Yeah, so you can borrow against your 401k, right? A lot of people know you can cash out a 401k, right? And then you pay these fees and penalties and things. But for you can also borrow against it, like take a loan out. So you can take a loan out up to a percentage of it. I don't know if it's like 75 or 80% or what's, uh, what's invested in your 401k. And so you can borrow against that money and your employer will typically take the payments from you automatically out of your paycheck each month. And so you're paying yourself back with interest because there's an interest tied to it, but it's your money. So that interest goes to you. So if you borrow those funds and buy a good deal and then that deal cash flows, well, essentially your cash flow is paying off your yeah. 401k loan and, and you're, and you're making some money. Yeah. What was that like getting that first deal? I mean, did that shift your identity? Did that confirm what you'd oh, already yeah. known? Like, what yeah. was that like? Oh man, it was freeing. Mm. It was freeing aside from that sense of responsibility I felt. I also realized that my goals were way too small. Mm. Up until that point, my wife and I, we had written down our goals for this real estate investing business. And our goals were to buy one property a year for five years. Yeah. And then if we liked it, we would do that again. And after 10 years, we would have 10 properties to help supplement our retirement. And after we bought that first one in 90 days and realized how powerful this was and saw that, you know, access to that line of credit to repeat the process, we were like, no, we had to rewrite these goals. We did five deals our first month. Wow. Five deals the first month. Yeah. Dude, that's amazing. It reminds me of, there's a quote, there's a famous quote that says, you know, people tend to overestimate what they can do in a year, but completely underestimate what they can do in five to 10 years. Yeah. In your case, you just underestimated both. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get five deals right away like that? So as part of that, that 90 day process from the decision to when we actually bought the property, I didn't know how to invest in real estate. Like Brandon, when I tell you, I didn't know how, like, when I got the lead for my first deal, um, I got it through word of mouth. 
because part of that process was I just told everybody I was an investor. I just, I'm a firm believer in the, the, like God gives you, like the world gives you what you put into it. Like if you put out what you want, you will get the things that come with that. And nobody was going to believe I was an investor if I didn't. So I just started telling everybody that I was a real estate investor. I didn't know how to do a deal. I didn't have any of the things that would, that would make you think I could do a deal, bad credit, no money. Um, but I said, I'm just going to tell everybody I'm an investor. Like I'm, t- I'm speaking this thing into existence. And a buddy of mine heard that I was, that I was doing that, that I was buying property. And he called me and I was like, Hey, somebody said you're buying houses. And I was like, yeah, I'm buying houses. <laughs> Absolutely. He was like, well, I got to sell my house. And he's a good friend of mine. So I knew what house he was talking about. He was like, I got to sell my house. Cause we rented it to a guy from church and he's, he's heavily involved in his church. And so he let a guy from church live in it, just covering the mortgage. He moved into some property on the church and then they were trying to expand this property for the church. And so he needed to sell the house in order to get the money to help the church buy more land and property. And there was a time frame around that. And so he was like, dude, I got to sell in 30 days and I need this much money. He was like, I don't care what my house is worth. I will sell it to you for $115,000, $114,000 as long as you can close in 30 days. Cause that gives me the exact amount of money I need to go do this deal for church. Can you buy it? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can buy it. <laughs> and after he said that, I literally went back to my desk at work because we both worked in the same place. And I was like, how to buy a house without a real estate agent? And I was like Googling it. And it was like, well, you got to put it under contract. And I was like, what's under contract? <laughs> and it was like, find a purchase and sale agreement. Downloaded one off the internet. Yep. Crossed out the names. We signed that contract that I was going to buy his house for $115,000 and we're going to close in 30 days. And I was like, all right, well, now I need some money. (laughs) Where do I find money? And so I was like, I'll just go to a bank because banks have money. And I went to the bank across the street or down the road from my office. Like that's the selection process I used. (laughs) And I walked in with the physical contract and said, can someone help me buy this house? And I was buying such a good deal. I ended up talking to the commercial loan officer. And he looked at the paper and was like, this is a really like, it's worth a lot more than this. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's why I want to buy it. And he was like, well, we'll lend to you as long as you got a 15% down payment. And I was like, I got that too. No. (laughs) Even with the bad credit. Yeah. So because the deal was so good and it was a commercial lender, what he saw was I'm going to get to bring a really good deal to my loan committee and that's going to make me look awesome. So unless my credit was terrible. I think he was willing to say we would loan to you. Now they, they ended up pulling my financials and doing all that. And I had improved my credit by that time enough for them to finance the deal. But yes, they, they lend based on the, it's a portfolio lender. And so they want really good loans. It felt it looked like a no risk, a low risk loan to them. And then went to this network of investors who I'd been building a relationship with. Cause that was the thing I did over that 90 days since I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. I said, there's gotta be people who do it that live here. And I Googled like real estate investors in my area and found all these meetups and RIAs. And I went to every meeting that existed. Like if people were in the room, I went, it didn't matter how busy I was or what was going on. Like I just needed to be around people who were doing it so that I could see how to do it. I'm just a firm believer in you. You need to surround yourself with the people who are successful at the thing you want to be doing. And you know, you'll be next in line. And so I, relentless consistency in going to meetups. I went to every meetup I could go to. And what that did was it showed people that I was serious. It helped me build this relationship or network of investors. And so when I had this deal under contract, I just called a few of them and I was like, how the heck are you finding the money Mm -hmm. for these down payments? 
And one of them literally brainstormed with me on the phone, like all these different options for getting funding that I didn't know anything about. And he landed on, you can borrow against your 401k. And I was like, what? That's a thing? Bought the house. Well, this is one of the like kind of secrets of real estate too that I think yeah. a lot of people don't understand is that it's not, it, yes, it's competition, right? Yeah. But everybody wants they the other person to win. win. Yeah, they want yes. you to win. And so it's like- It's so unique like that. It's so weird. Like, I don't think you'd get that if you owned a- Pizza Hut, and then the other pizza, you're like calling the other pizza competition going, how are you growing your pizza business? They'd be like, oh, well, we just, you know. We sneeze in the sauce. Click. But in real estate, like everybody wants everybody to win. Uh, it's yeah. such a different vibe. And so especially if you come at it from an earnest, like blunt, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Help me. Like, yeah. who's going to be like, no, I'm not going to help you. Like ev- yeah. everybody's like, yeah, sure. This is what I would yeah. do. Let me brainstorm the 50 different ways. With yeah, you. Right. And then one of those is going to work just like it did in your story. Yeah, I love it. it. Was, and I think where a lot of people fail at this is they go to meetups, yep. but they don't go to every meetup, right? They'll go the first month or the first week because so they're excited. And then two weeks or three weeks go by and they go to the next one. And then the third one they didn't go to because their dog had the thing, and yeah, then, you yeah. know, and then my, my kids did the thing. And then, you know, four months go by and they're like, oh, you know, let's go, let's go back to a meetup. And why people were so willing to help me, I believe, is because I was there every, at yeah. every meeting, meeting everybody, following up with people, going to lunch with people who would want to go to, like, I yeah. wanted to network with as many people as possible. I, I just wanted to absorb information. So much, they saw me so frequently that I think they were shocked that I hadn't done a deal. They were like, yeah. <laughs> You haven't done a deal yet? Well, we got to help you get over that hump, yeah. right? Like it's just the relentless consistency and showing up makes people want to see you succeed even more. What does that phrase mean to you? Relentless consistency. You've said it a couple of times. Yeah. For me, it's the key to success, right? It's most businesses have been around for a while. Like they've been a thing. Somebody's done it, right? Unless we're talking about like crypto or something yeah. like it's probably been around for a while. And I think I've learned that the true difference between people who are successful and people who haven't found success. It's just that the successful person what relentlessly consistently pursued whatever that thing is. And so I always tell my students like, congratulations, you're a real estate investor. What's cool is we know this works. It worked before I was born. Yeah. The only thing that's, that's going to set you apart is you have to relentlessly, consistently pursue your approach. And so we just we try to get people to put the blinders on, focus on the thing that's the most important, and then don't stop until you get success. So, the, so it's going to cost you money, and it's going to cost you time, and it's going to be hard. And I don't think people talk about how difficult of a journey this is enough, because it's hard. It'll smack you in the face and make you want to quit. I mean, I had a moment yeah. like that upstairs at your house, <laughs> house right, yeah. <laughs> right now today, yeah. where it's like, why am I doing like yeah. <laughs> but you just can't quit, man. And and so for me, relentless consistency means that you're going to pursue until you get the results that you're looking for, no matter what, like no matter how much money you got to spend, no matter how much time you got to put in. It's, it's obviously there's some, some guardrails you need to put up within reason, but I think people quit too early. What are some of the tips or tricks that you've used to stay relentlessly consistent? Yeah. Simple stuff, man. I'm a, I don't know, man. I'm, I try not to overcomplicate business too much. And so for me, I try to write down, obviously you write down your goals at the beginning of the year, but I try, not only do I write them down, but I try to write them down daily, at least the things I know I'm trying to accomplish, like right in front of me or the things that I know are super, like the most important goals. And so I write them down every day and just to rep- something about putting pen to paper and being repetitive about doing that 
and I know we're talking mindset and I tell people, you know, a lot of people think mindset is this frou-frou thing that like, you know, you just say it and it happens. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that like mindset to me is a, is a mental tool that helps you remain physically disciplined. And so if you're continuing to write something down every day, it's like you're training your brain to help you take the actions that come along with getting that result. And so I make sure that I write my goals down and I'm looking at them. I post them everywhere. And so my goals are like in front of my desk at home, in front of my desk at work, in my shower. I've got sticky notes in my shower and I'll write ideas and things in my shower. But seeing them posted everywhere keeps me focused on it. And I've also learned that like a lot of the times I don't have to know, like I say this with real estate, but it's hard to think about in other areas of my life. Like I don't need to know how I'm going to get to something when I set the goal. Yeah. And I think a lot of people want to have it all mapped out and then they go, all right, that's how I'm going to get to my goal. And they write their goal. And so like for me this year, one of my goals was I want to lose a hundred pounds. Like I need to be a healthier version of myself. No idea how to do that. Like, sure, I have some idea, but I haven't been that successful at it yeah. so far. But I just forced myself to write it down every day and then figure it out, like the actions. And so I, st- I did. I started to work out more and I started to eat better. I uh, went to my doctor and started talking to my doctor and got on more of a health plan and got on some medicine that helps. And all of these things combined have helped me. I'm 65 pounds down now. That's awesome. You know, hopefully I'll hit the 100 pound goal. But even if I don't, like the change that that's made in my life just by writing that down and then letting that writing it down drive my actions to be more toward that goal has really changed my life. There's a great quote and I'm going to butcher it even I don't remember who it's from. I think it's Henry David Thoreau, but he said like the purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal, it's to become the kind of to become the kind of person who could hit that goal. Yeah. Uh, and I've always loved that concept that like yeah, goals are important. At the Better Life Tribe, we talk a lot about goals and goal yeah. setting. But then we always boil the goals down to like, what are the actions you got to do to get there? Mm-hmm. And what are the habits? So like this year, yeah, I might not hit all the goals that I wanted for the year, especially like around physical, but I'm going to the gym four to five times a week yeah. now. I've never done that in my life. I've yeah. never been nine months consistent at the gym. Yeah. Like that's the longest I've ever been. So I am becoming, that's why we actually do something called identity-based goal setting. Mm-hmm. It's less about what I want to have. Like I want to be this weight mm-hmm. and more about who I want to become. Yeah, I want And I literally wrote this down like a year ago. I want to become somebody who enjoys going to the gym Yeah, because I've never enjoyed it. I yeah. want to be somebody that enjoys going to the gym. I want to be somebody who is a real estate investor, not with a number of units. I just want to be, that's my identity. I want to be yeah. a real estate investor. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a leader. Now from that, we can extrapolate down goals that give us very clear direction. But that's, 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 who you want to be matters. That tracks well. You know, I'm sitting here in Maui. Normal, normal me would have saw this as a vacation or a break, right? And that meant I'm not gonna go to the gym. I've been to the gym almost every day since I've yeah, been here, right? Awesome. It, it wasn't even like, I didn't even think about not going to the gym. As yeah, things are different. Yeah, dude, that's such a great point is identity. That's how you know your identity has shifted yeah. is because you if you do that thing on vacation, yeah. <laughs> your identity has shifted. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I go to the gym when I'm home and I eat healthy. But as soon as I get on that cruise ship, man, yeah. I just stuff my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you really change or are you still forcing your actions? Yeah. Like, I, I want to be somebody who just, why would I not work out? Why yeah. would I not eat healthy? Why would I not analyze deals and make offers and go to meetups? Because that's just who I am yeah. as a person. Yeah. Powerful stuff, man. All right. So how did you go from, you know, that very first deal? I mean, how long did it take you to become a millionaire? Let's just go to that question. Man, you know, <laughs> that happened a lot quicker than I expected it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's more about, I got really, really good at finding good deals. Mm. And so the things that I did end up, two things, right? There's two things you need to grow and scale a real estate business, right? You need deal flow and money flow. 
if you've got access to deals or leads consistently that yep. you can buy at a discount and access to money to buy them that isn't the money in your personal bank account, you can grow your business at whatever pace yep. you're comfortable growing. And by walking into this bank accidentally for my first deal, I built a relationship with a small local bank who wanted to fund my deals at essentially 100% financing. Because what they were saying is, you bring me a deal, we'll finance 85% of it, and then you can use this line of credit that we've given you for the other 15%, yeah. right? And so I'd solve the money flow for that particular problem. And so I just needed to solve for deal flow. And the reason I focused my business on solving for deal flow is because through these meetups that I was going to consistently, everybody, no matter how seasoned or new they were in investing, they all said the same thing. Uh, I'm a real estate investor. I want to buy some deals. I just can't find anything to buy. There's no, yeah. there's no good deals left out there. And this was back before it was as yeah. hard as it is now, yeah. right? Like, and so I, I, that was the problem I felt like I needed to solve is if I can find a way to find good deals consistently, at a minimum, I'll have a room full of people here who will want to buy them off me. And so I'll, I'll know I'll be able to make money. And so I just focused my business on acquisitions, on finding deals. I think every book I read when I first got started from a real estate perspective was about wholesaling, not because I wanted to wholesale, but because wholesalers are the people who are good at finding deals. And yeah. I was like, I'll just model my business after them and then I'll keep everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like yeah. finding, I mean, people, we, buy, we know people who are buying hundreds of houses a year, hundreds yeah. and hundreds a year. And so like, if the deals are out there, clearly. Yeah. So I think maybe the biggest perspective shift that new real estate investors need to make is to stop saying, I can't find a deal and replace it with, I don't have a deal finding system worked out yet. Yeah, that's it. Right? I don't have a deal finding system. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, what, is, what does that look like? How would I build a deal finding system? Yep. And then you don't have to worry about that anymore. Because if that guy can buy 200 houses a year, right. 300 a year, there's clearly a system that delivers those kind of results. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I just don't know what that system is yet. I don't have a system. So now I got to read some books on how to get deals. So let's, let's shift into that a little bit. How do you find deals in 2023? Yeah, the same way you found deals in 2017. <laughs> it, the, 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 the science of it hasn't changed. It's real estate, guys. You, you buy something at a discount, you add value to it, and then you monetize it, right? That's, That's it. what real estate is. And so how I'm finding deals now is the same way I was finding deals then. Now, the amount of you know, money or effort we might pour into a particular strategy might shift based on what's going on. Um, right now, we find most of our deals through uh, direct mail and cold calling. Uh, we do direct mail, cold calling. I've got a Google AdWords campaign, and then we do some other stuff, do some radio, some billboards. For me, it's like I just want multiple fishing lines in the water. And, you know, you get different bites, track which ones are working, make some adjustments. But, yeah, man, it's it's all about finding people with equity and motivation and figuring out a way to either get on the phone with them or get them on the phone with you. It all works. That's awesome. Yeah. It all works. But do you recommend one of those above another for new investors? What should uh, they start to get leads? Yeah. For a new investor, you're either going to have, you're either going to spend time or you're going to spend money, right? It doesn't matter new or experienced to find a good deal. You're going to spend your time to find it or you're going to spend your money to find it. So if you're a new investor who's got a busy nine to five and you make a decent salary and you don't have the time to put in to really hustle and find what I call the hustle leads, the free leads, yeah. then you're gonna have to spend some money. And so figure out, you know, what's the best off market deal finding strategy for you that you can A, afford to fund properly and that B, fits your personality. So what I mean by that, if you are gonna spend money 
and you're going to send direct mail, but you only got $500 to send direct mail, that's probably not the best. You're not going to send enough mail that's going to generate you a deal, right? You need to do enough research to figure out, like, in your market, how much mail do you really need to be sending to get a deal? And if you can afford to pay that, it's a decent strategy. It takes some time to get there. So look at your budget and figure out what strategy you want to use and then relentlessly, consistently pursue that strategy until it yields a result. If you are a person who doesn't have the money, but you've got the time that you can put into the hustle, there's tons of free places to get leads. It's more about, are you going to do the work, analyze every lead that comes across your desk, make offers on every deal that comes across your desk, and then follow up with those sellers or those agents. Like that's where the real work is. Like people get leads all the time. Like a wholesaler will send them something or an agent will send them something and they'll go, ah, oh, it's probably not a deal. And then they don't do anything with it. Well, did you really analyze it in depth? Did you figure out, yeah, it's not a deal at what they're asking, but what price point would you be willing to buy it for? And then did you make that offer at that price point or were you too scared to make that offer because it was so low and you didn't want to have the agent do that for you or you didn't want to reach out to the seller and do that for you? So you really didn't work that lead to its fullest potential. But I feel like if you work your hustle leads like that, if you're going out and you're talking to agents and saying, send me everything you got that you think needs some work that you're not getting any movement on, send me all your, send me all the expired listings, send me everything that's been on market for longer than the average day is on market and sit down and literally analyze every single one of those, find out what's the price you would be willing to pay for it, even if it's $150,000, $200,000 less than they're asking, and then submit that offer anyway. Most people don't want to do that because the 99% chance it's going to get rejected and they feel like it's a wasted effort. But mm. if you're going to hustle and find leads, it's the kind of work you have to do. Is the birth strategy dead in 2023? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I have to say that, Brandon, because I'm doing a Burr boot camp right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> How does Burr work in 2023? Uh, you know what I love about Burr is it forces people to become fundamentally sound real estate investors mm. for it to work. Yeah. Because the whole concept of Burr is I have to buy something at a deep enough discount to be able to afford to fix it up and then be able to make money on it and then be able to refinance it at a new higher amount and pull that money out that I put into it, which means you have to have gone and found yourself a really good deal. But buying really good deals is the foundation of real estate investing. Yeah. Like you can't make money in real estate unless you're good at finding deals that you can monetize. Yeah. And, and so is it dead? No, it's not dead. It's harder. It's harder, especially if you're not going to build the systems and put in the work to analyze and make offers on the volume of deals that you need to in order to produce a result. So said differently in 2017, you can analyze maybe half the deals you have to look at now and come up with a couple, two, three, four good ones that you could bear out of no sweat. Interest rates were lower. Prices of homes were less. You could get yourself a pretty decent deal fairly easily compared to now. Now, you're going to have to analyze twice as many. You're going to get rejected twice as much. You, you have to buy at such a deep discount that it's going to be a lot of work to get to that burr deal. And I also think people need to be okay with not burring 100% of your money out. Yeah. Like if you can find a bird deal and get half of your money back, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It still allows you to grow on scale. Would you would you say it's accurate to say then that the birth strategy is like in order to be good at it, you have to be good at like what flippers and wholesalers are doing. Mm -hmm. Now normal rentals, you don't have to be as good at finding deals as flippers yeah. and wholesalers, but mm -hmm. if you want to do the birth strategy, you just have to apply those skills to rentals and then it works. Yeah. You have to be 
essentially be as good as a wholesaler at mm-hmm. finding your deals. Yeah. And then be able to find the money to take them down and then yeah. you can get your money back out. It's just it's just harder now, but it's not dead. Yeah. I think it's forcing people to learn how to go and build those systems. Cause you know, not everybody wants to have a hundred doors brand in there, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't want to have that kind of a business. And so they would say, well, I don't want to put that kind of work in to find a deal that works. And now the system or the industry or the market is telling you, well, you got to put a little more work in now. And those who are willing to put in that work, yeah, can absolutely find a bird deal. And those who want it to be a little easier are going to have to be more creative with their exit strategy. If I had a thousand dollars, for marketing, that's it. I could spend on finding a real estate deal mm-hmm. and had five hours a week. What would I do? Thousand dollars and five hours a week. I would tell you to save your thousand dollars. If you've got the five hours a week, that five hours a week should be spent with networking with uh, agents and making offers on things on the market and networking with wholesalers. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to work with wholesalers. What wholesalers want is they want somebody who they know is going to close and close quickly. And if you can get lending set up with like a hard money lender or a small local bank where you know that they're gonna get your deal closed, as long as you're buying within these certain margins, I mean, wholesalers are already doing the work for you of finding those deals. You're gonna pay a little bit of a premium to them, but even those premiums are negotiable, but they've already done the work, they've got access to it. I think not enough people are leveraging wholesalers to find their first deal because there's a lot of not good wholesalers and they send you a lot of junk. And again, people don't take the time to analyze everything. So the, 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 the secret sauce isn't in like finding this perfect marketing channel. The secret sauce is you have to analyze everything and make offers anyway. I tell my students, I don't care what a wholesaler is saying the property is going to cost. I don't care what they're saying the renovation budget is. None of that matters to me. Just give me the address. Yep. I want the address. I'm going to figure out what I want to pay for it. I'm going to figure out what it's going to take to renovate it. And then I'm going to make that offer regardless of what their price point is. I do that exact same. I say that exact same thing for yeah. turnkey companies. Yeah. Like, oh, yes. like, you can buy from a turnkey. People are always like, should I buy turnkey? I'm like, I don't care if you buy from a turnkey or from a, like a, you know, a for sale by owner sign. I don't, I don't care how you get a deal or MLS. Yeah. Just run the numbers. Like, run the numbers. It, yeah. It has, it's irrelevant where the lead comes from yeah. or how it get, gets to you. It's, does the math work or does the math not work? It is a volume game. Yep. You have to analyze a ton of deals and make a ton of offers. And so you don't need to spend that $1,000 mm-hmm. if you're going to analyze the, the number of leads you need to analyze to get you a deal. All right, man. Black Americans are 29% less likely to own a home than white Americans. Why is that? How do we fix it if we should? Oh, boy. That's a mm-hmm. deep answer. Why is that is, is, a, is a tough one to answer. I think there's a lot of... Uh, historic systemic racism that people of color in communities and neighborhoods with less resources, less access to resources. The schools aren't as good, which means a lot of the times the teachers aren't as good. Um, you know, the school systems. Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is. Like I, I think it's broken. Yeah. Right. But there's still a lot of people in, in areas and neighborhoods where they have even less access to resources than some other people. So I think part of it is, education. And I think part of it is you got to get people out of survival mode before they can even think about ownership. You know, there's a lot of black communities are living in survival mode, meaning they are trying to figure out what they're going to eat every day. They're making enough money to hopefully pay their rent and take care of their expenses. And there's not a lot extra. They're not thinking about how do I save up to buy a house? They're thinking about, I want to make sure my family eats and what can I do to make that happen? So I think there has to be 
you know, I've said this about affordable housing too. I think there has to be kind of partnership on all sides in order for the gap to close. If you want more affordable housing, if you want people to have access to resources to be able to help them buy a home, we need city and local governments to work with builders and developers and investors. We all have to be working together because if, you know, if the city's going to provide incentives for investors like me to go and build or uh, renovate properties in neighborhoods where people of color live, then it makes it more affordable to, for me to be able to do that because investors have to make a profit or else we can't do it. And so if there's programs where that allow me to take and invest my dollars within the community, which builds housing for people within the community that they can afford, and then the city and local government provides education around what you need to be doing from a credit perspective in order to be able to qualify. Maybe we'll provide some incentives for you to be able to qualify, some down payment assistant programs. I know a lot of these things do exist, but how the information doesn't seem to be readily available for people, yeah. right? And so if there's people working together, builders and developers, like you're seeing a lot now with opportunity zones, right? I think it can be done better though. Like if there's opportunity zones, but where we're gonna build affordable housing and there's some requirement that a certain amount of people, like like here in Hawaii, right? Yeah. If you're gonna be able to, like if you can buy a property here, I know there's some rules that say you have to be what, 50% Hawaiian in order for you to be able to some to areas, buy yeah. some of the properties, right? It's it's things like that. We've got to be able to provide, the government needs to provide opportunities and education and then incentives to people who are out here investing in these communities so that it all works for everybody. Because right now investors are saying, I want to build affordable housing, but I can't afford yeah. to, yeah. right? And so I'm going to go build the thing that's going to make me the most money. Dude, I got a friend right. out here in Hawaii who mm -hmm. is trying to build, was trying for years to build affordable housing. And mm -hmm. there's this plot of land. He owns the plot of land. Mm -hmm. And for years, he was trying to build, it was like 32 units of affordable housing on there. And he got shut down over and over and over. He fought and he fought and he fought and he fought. And they would not let him, like the city council, the mm -hmm. Maui council was like, nope, we're not gonna let you put that in there. And they they pulled out some obscure, like it's a wetland mm -hmm. and therefore you can't have this density on the wetland. That was the final mm -hmm. nail in the coffin. They shut him down. And, but what he is, he is allowed to do is eight multi-million dollar houses. So <laughs> yeah. now he has to put in eight multi-million dollar houses just to make any money, mm -hmm. even though he had a clear plan toward affordable housing. Yeah. The lesson there is everybody wants affordable housing, but not in their neighborhood. But not in my backyard. Not, not, not in their backyard. They mm -hmm. say, oh, we, we really care about affordable housing. Yeah, you don't in your neighborhood. Yeah. And so we need to, from the ground up, like change how politicians yeah. uh, and, and how the system works because it's not working. A recent example of this that I've seen, and I, I said this once on the On The Market podcast too, and I, I really do wanna, wanna highlight this person, this uh, investor, uh, his uh, Instagram is uh, Mr. Booker T. And so uh, his name is Booker T. Washington. Mm. He built an affordable housing community in the Atlanta area. And so he built it in a community that was predominantly black he built houses, they were just above tiny homes. I forget what they were called at the time, but there's, it's like micro homes or something yeah. like that. So they were like 600 square foot to like, you know, 800 square foot-ish, like that, that size. They were really nice, modern finishes. He built it on land that was there that had essentially been abandoned. So the city wasn't bringing in any tax revenue on it. 
And so he went and he found this land that the city wasn't making any money on. And he put together this plan to build these, uh, this affordable housing community. And, uh, and so because he built these micro homes, he was able to sell them at a price point that would allow people in that community to afford to buy those homes and their mortgage payment would be less than what the average rent is for that area. And uh, it was a win-win all the way around because now the city is making money on the land. They, um, the housing is beautiful. It's beautiful, modern architecture. It's nice. It's something that a city wants because a lot of the not in my backyard is, oh, I don't want something ugly or, yes. yeah. right, or, you know. But when they see something that looks beautiful, their assumption is, beautiful people will come live there, right? Like yeah, they just, yeah. like it, it takes some of the scary away, yeah. right? And so because it was something that looks beautiful and amazing, they obviously approved it, he built it, and now people within that community are able to afford a home to live in that lets them pay less than what they were paying in average rent. And so it was a great kind of, you know, example of what could be done mm. with affordable housing. And I think there's probably a lot more opportunity like that in, in other areas. One thing we're trying to do here on Maui, try to help, you know, we had the fires, you know, a little while back and it, it just decimated, you know, an entire town uh, or several towns really. But one thing we're trying to help with the solution, we have a group of people, we have a nonprofit, Makai.org, and, and part of our kind of focus is saying, how do we use ADUs, like, you know, smaller, yeah. you know, houses, six to 800 square feet. How can we better utilize those? Because the fact is, there are a lot of them here on, on Maui, but not every house. I mean, I would say less than half probably have mm -hmm. a legal ADU there. And many of them could have one, but the permitting process and yeah. the, the the red tape is years of work to get an ADU built. Yeah. And then the cost of it is prohibitive. And so what we're looking to do is could we, you know, could, could we somehow incentivize homeowners? For example, could we, within the nonprofit, uh, get a bank to finance 80% of an ADU, uh, get us to finance the other, let's call it 10%. Maybe the homeowner puts in 10%. Maybe they put in nothing. Mm -hmm. The home gets built fast-tracked, whatever. Now you're solving two problems, right? We're, we're giving housing immediately for the people who lost their house uh, house yeah. in Lahaina, which there's 2,000 homes that were you know burned down. But also once that problem is somewhat, you know, over the next decade that houses get built back, there's also now a whole lot more homes that, yeah. so we're really solving three problems, right? The immediate need. And then in the future, we have more housing on Maui, yeah. more affordable housing. And then also that, that rent of that unit, which again, bank, if the bank will finance 80%, it's like, let's call it 1,200 bucks a month. Well, now you can offer, you know, cheap housing and the landlord now that owns their house gets yeah. cheaper, you know, gets uh, to offset their mortgage a little bit. It's a win-win-win yeah. across everybody. Yep. But what do we need for that to happen? We need the government, the county council, the mayor to be able to say, okay, we're going to let you build ADUs yep. and we're going to maybe allow less of a setback issue or we're going to yep. like do it the parking restrictions. There's all these restrictions, right? Like yep. density and parking restrictions. Those are designed to keep that kind of yep. thing out. It, there has to be a shaking of hands yeah. across the table from yeah. the city and local government to the investors and the builders and the banks, mm -hmm. right? It's, if everybody has to be somewhat on the same page, you know, there's, you know, even if you think about, I think part of the other way to close the gap back to the original question is we need more, you know, we need more black investors creating yes. more black, creating more housing. Mm -hmm. In, in black communities and providing that education to to our own people. And all of that is good, I, I, I agree with that. But at some point we still need, you know, green lights and approvals. Yeah. Um, and if we don't have that handshake, then they could squash deals and make things more difficult. We have to all 
want to solve the problem of closing the wealth gap. We have to all want to solve the problem of solving and creating affordable housing. And I don't know that the, the what's in it for me is there across all parties. Yeah, that's a that's a real problem. That said, I've always I've always believed and said, and I'm sure you've taught it as well, is like money's made in hard. Like right, mm-hmm. when you learn to do hard things that are rare and valuable skills, that's where money's made. And so right now affordable housing is hard. Yet I think there's a tremendous opportunity right mm-hmm. now for somebody to step in and say, I'm gonna be the affordable housing guy or mm-hmm. lady in this community and I'm gonna spend the next two decades of my life becoming the person that figures it out and they get to know the politicians and it's, I mean, it's hard They yeah. got to learn the red tape and they're going to come up with the ideas, but because it's such a hard thing, you can make money there. And so yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity. And when we look at where the, like, I always like to say like, you know, like when whale watching, you don't go and drive the boat or your paddleboard to the whale, you go in front of the whale yep. so that the whale runs into you essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's what all the whale watching boats do is you go way ahead of the whale and then the whale will you know make its way toward you. The whale right now is, we have an increasing problem with affordable housing. It's mm-hmm. getting really hard, especially with elderly people. Mm-hmm. So if you can get in front of that whale right now and start working that problem, there's tremendous opportunity there yep. and to become that expert. But it's maybe not as sexy as building the, you know, the $8 million, yeah. multi-million dollar houses <laughs> yeah. that you're going to just sell off and develop right away. So anyway, just an encouragement for people listening to this show right now is like there is a need and there is money to be made yep. in affordable housing. It just takes... W-O-R-K. Yeah. It just, it just oh, takes work. Takes a lot of work. And a lot of hassle. But what, you know, what doesn't in this game? Yeah, right. So. Anyway, man. All right. Uh, are we headed for a recession right now? Is the U.S. in 2023 headed for a recession? I don't know, Brandon. <laughs> I don't does know. Does it worry you? Maybe that's a better question. Is does Because none no. of us know. Does it worry you? No. And why or why not? Doesn't worry me. Um, you know, are we headed there? Maybe. Um, every time I think maybe we are, then, you know, then you I'd sell in a house and get you know, multiple offers in three days. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's 2019 again, yep. right? Like the, the market is so unpredictable right now, but no, I'm not scared. Why am I not scared? I've learned how to make money. I think just the general skill of it, you can drop me anywhere in the country and I can probably within a short period of time, find a deal I can buy at a discount and then monetize that deal. Yeah. Like I know I'll be able to feed my family. Um, you know, will I be able to run the size company that I want to run? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm pretty confident in my ability to be able to turn opportunity in the real estate industry into money that I feel like Mm. it's, it's, it's fine. Dude, that's another perspective on the word financial freedom. I don't think it's maybe talked about enough. Maybe that's a better definition than just like, oh, I can pay all my bills with passive income. Mm-hmm. No, you could lose everything and within a month you could yeah. be fine. Yeah. I think that's freedom. Yeah. Uh, Cause passive income, like great, I got five grand a month, ten grand a month. Oh, wait, water heater went out and you know, I gotta remodel this thing or somebody drove a car into the side yeah. of my house. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> that uh, that stuff happens. But maybe the better, yeah, the better answer to freedom is not I'm going to sit on the beach and not work. Yeah. It's that for the rest of my life, no one can take away what I have in here in my yeah. head. And that's the answer to, to freedom. Unless the government drastically changes the rules mm-hmm. about how real estate works, yep. I should be able to make money but to even take that, care of my family. The work that you know how to do when yeah. it comes to finding, like even not, forget deals in general, just the framework around mm. success, yeah. right? Writing down the goals every day and having mm. goals and then breaking those into habits and actions and then not being afraid to go out and meet people in that industry. Like it's those skills that guarantee yeah. that you'll never go hungry. Yeah. No matter what the economy's like. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like I'm 
you know, I feel like real estate investing is this like. Uh, first of all, I feel like cash flow is a myth, but that's a whole yeah, other con- no. that's a whole other conversation, right? Cash like, a bit of a <laughs> right? That's a whole other conversation. But at the end of the day, I've been acquiring property for since 2017, and you know, if I had to sell it all and be done, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's fine, Brent. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, let's shift gears here and head over to the next segment of the show. I call this the three, two, one pivot. You know, when I talk to when I use the word pivot, what I'm referring to is your life is going one direction and something changes and you start, you shift to a new direction. Like you were going this way and maybe it's a one degree pivot or a 90 degree pivot, but Mm -hmm. your life's going one direction and it changes. So I'm going to ask you the three, two, one pivot questions. Now, first of all, three pivot books, three books that change the direction of your life. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Rich Dad Poor Dad, but that I mean, in all seriousness, that's the f- how I found the book was funny. So when I had that uh, panic attack, yep, and I decided I was going to be a real estate investor, I didn't know what to do. I only knew one person who was like a broker, and she had talked about real estate investing before. So I went to her. She worked at the cubicle next to me, and I, her name's Kanisha. I said, "Hey, I I want to do real estate investing," and she was like, "Oh my gosh." yes, let's go to dinner. And like, we went to dinner and she brought like a physical box of books to dinner. We ate at Red Lobster. And she goes, <laughs> pick a book. Just pick any book. I'll let you read it. Just return it to me when you're done. And I was like, uh, this one. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Nice. I had no idea. Yes. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. or how. I was like, right, I'll just read this one. I think I've heard this title before. Uh, and so literally by chance read it. Changed I love my it. life. Um, the second book I would say that changed my life uh, pivot wise was The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. So I read that one right after Rich Dad Poor Dad, and uh, it just kind of it, it. The immediate action that I took was I just started to save ten percent of my income, pay yourself first. Like I just never, like I'd heard you should save ten percent before because of tithing and all that, and just it never clicked with me. But for some reason, hearing it in that book clicked, and I told my wife, um, I was like, I know we said we're going to be real estate investors, but what if we just save ten percent of our income for twelve months? After 12 months, even if we never buy a property, like, look at how much money that is. Yeah. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And so that's what we started to do. I love it. Yeah. All right. Rich Man, Rich Man of Babylon, yep. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and? The third book, uh, Paulo Coelho. Um, the Alchemist. The Alchemist, yes. Yeah. The Alchemist. It was more of a, it was a confirmation that, like, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Um, because, you know, you're going down this path, you're learning to invest in real estate, and it's like, it's a scary thing. And uh, I read that book. And it made me realize that I was exactly where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was supposed Mm. to be doing. And the universe will conspire to help me get exactly where I wanted to be. Like, it was just a good confirmation that like, yes, this is hard, but if you're doing the thing that you're called to do, the doors will open and you will be able to do that. Just really help me stay focused. And I'll point out that that book uh, those three books, and along with a few other books that are commonly talked about, books like mm-hmm. The E-Myth mm-hmm. or uh, Life and Air is one. Mm-hmm. They're all stories, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. that interesting? How yeah. stories just affect us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm slowly working on, and when I say working on, I slowly was working on, and then I put it on the shelf for a while. But yeah, my own yeah. version of that, because yeah. I'm like, man, stories change lives. Yeah, yeah. So. You know who's good at that, writing like that? Who's that? Rich. Rich? Fetke. Fetke, you're yeah. right, dude. Yeah. Rich Fetke. Yeah, that book. Yeah. What's this book hero. called? It's... um. Uh, the wise investor. The wise investor, yeah. yeah. Legit. Yeah, because yeah, it's a story. It's a great yeah. story. You're like, oh, I get it. That's yeah. great. All right, so those three pivot books, awesome. Next, two pivot people in your life. People have changed the direction of your life. Yeah, these are easy for me, man. Um, my father, he was really good at telling me what I need to do and then just kind of letting me figure it out on my own. So like he would plant the seeds 
And then at some point life takes its course and that seed has blossomed. And I go, that's what he was talking about. (laughs) Ah, all right. Um, you know, he, he taught me how to be a man and, and let me go and make my own mistakes. But the, the things, the toughest decisions that I've ever made and the best decisions that I've ever made have been because of a seed that he's planted, you know, uh, the, 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 one of the first pivot moments for me was, um, you know, after I graduated high school, I went to junior college. I went away to junior college and then did a lot of playing basketball and partying and not a lot of schooling. And so I got the, I got the hook and got, <laughs> got yanked back home. And, uh, and so I started going to a local junior college and just not really applying myself. And my dad told me once, he was like, there's nothing here for you. You don't need to be here. I was like, this isn't like, I don't know what you want your life to look like, but if you think it's here, it's, it's, it's not. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, and then I remember I was at dinner one night with my friends for somebody's birthday and we we're having a great time and just laughing. It was great. And it just, I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks, like vividly remember. And I just, I just had this feeling come over my body and I went, if I'm still here five years from now at this same table with these same people doing this same thing, I screwed up my life. Mm. Like I, I can be so much more than this. And I don't know why it hit me at this dinner or, but it was like that seed was planted by my dad. And I was like, I gotta go. Mm. I, don't, I don't even know what that means. I went home and told my mom, I was like, I gotta get out of here. I was like, I, I need to go. She was a recruiter for the school I ended up going to. Um, she used to recruit for them and it was a private school. And so it, in private school, if your parents went there, then you can get in. And so it's like a legacy thing. And so she called and got me in and I was on a plane 30 days later. Wow. Never came back. Changed my life. All right. So number one was your dad. Number one was my dad. Number two was my wife. Mm. It's my wife. I, I was coasting financially, wasn't trying to solve any problems. Never really had a significant other believe in me the way she believed in me. What do you love about your wife? Man, don't make me cry on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She sees the best in everybody. Mm. Even, even when I don't, or even when I don't want her to. You know, if I don't like somebody, she'll be like, oh, have you thought about this? And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> or like the way they did that. She sees the best in everybody. She believed in me when she had no business believing in me. I remember we had a conversation after we got married and I basically was telling her I wanted to be the financial head of household. And her response was essentially like, why would I trust you to do that? Mm. And I said, I know you have no reason to trust me to do that, but I need this from you. And she gave it to me. Mm. And I've just tried to to honor and respect that uh, ever since. She saw something in me that I don't know that anybody's ever seen in me. What about your kids? What do you love about each one of them? (laughs) Jocelyn is, she just turned five. And the best thing about Jocelyn she just wants everybody to be happy mm. and she wants you to smile and she wants to make you laugh. And I've, I, you know, I tell my wife, I'm like, it wouldn't surprise me if she ends up on TV or on somebody's stage somewhere. I just feel like her whole purpose is t- to make the people around her smile. She loves making people happy. 
my youngest, what I love about her is Evie's going to do Evie. It doesn't matter what's going on around her. Doesn't matter who's playing or doing what. Whatever he wants to do, she's going to do. She's going to be happy. She's going to be content. She she don't take no she don't take no shit, Brandon. All right, I don't know if you let people curse on this show, but oh, feel free. Evie don't take no shit. <laughs> she she she's tough as nails. She'll she'll fall and hurt herself, and you won't know till days later if it's serious or not. She just gets up and she keeps going. But she doesn't she doesn't let outside things affect her or what she wants if she wants to have fun. She also regulates her emotions extremely well for a two, almost three-year-old. Like, I need to learn how to do what she does. <laughs> like, she will get upset and she'll say, I need to go to my room. Mm. And she'll go to her room and she'll cry for a minute and she'll get it together and she'll open the door and she'll say, I feel better now, Dada. We come play with me? I love it. And I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah, like I'll yeah. stew for days. Yeah. <laughs> I need everybody to know I'm mad. Like I just I'm <laughs> immature like that with my anger. And she's just like, I feel better now, Dada. It's just they're amazing. I amazing to watch. I love it. All right. What about one pivot quote? Here's the quote that's impacted me the most, probably in the past 30 days. How you do one thing is how you do everything. It's just resonated with me so much. Because it's it's similar, like you told the story of, you know, you tell yourself you're going to work out and then you don't work out and how that impacts you. And I've been that guy. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be that guy. Again, this journey has taught me that if I can become a better version of myself, then owning a better business and running a better business just happens. But I've wanted to become more consistent with eating and working out. And every time now that I think about not doing that well, that quote is just playing in my head. How you do one thing is how you do everything. If you want to be able to make sure your employees have a job to come back to, if you want to be able to make sure your kids see dad doing positive things, and it doesn't just mean in business, it means in everything. Beautiful, man. Yep. Next segment, past, present, future. I got three questions. One yep. about the past. What advice would you give your younger self? You know, I don't think I've ever thought about that. I would tell my younger self that it never turns out as bad as you think it's going to. I spent a lot of time worrying about things that I didn't need to worry about so much so that it affected my mental health. I've gone through a couple bouts of pretty severe depression and it was all anxiety and worry based about things that never happened. And I think I just needed someone who I trusted to sit me down and give me a big hug and tell me like this, you gotta get out of your own head. It's, it's not gonna turn out that bad. Mm present question what is something you've done in the last six months that's improved your life that's given you a better life <laughs> a couple of things being more consistent with working out and that's come because i've been more forgiving with myself about when and how that happens i think we all have this idea in our head about like what working out means it means i need to get up at the same time every day and go to the place and do the thing I've tried to give myself some grace with what that means. So I may not, I'm not the best at getting up at 5 a.m. every day and doing a workout, but I can figure out a way to get a workout in yeah. within my day. And if that means I put on my, you know, uh, 
Oculus goggles and do a workout on there. Dude, if it I means I do, I, I do. love I love Oculus it. workouts. Or if it means I go <laughs> so fun for a walk, <laughs> right, right? Dude, Oculus workouts are intense. Don't judge me. Yeah, what games I, you play? Uh, what you, what you do? I have one of the 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 VR apps where you do the the uh, the boxing workouts okay, yeah, where you're like yeah. boxing the bubbles, dude. Yeah, dude, I can like work out with you sweat, can get man. Sweat. You get a sweat going doing that. I play, su- I play Supernatural, which Supernatural. Is, yeah, that's right. the one. Yes, okay, yeah, 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 Supernatural. Yeah, yeah. Where you that's have, like, the one. Little, it's almost like lights. It's like yeah. Beat Saber, but for workout. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, all during COVID, I, just, I mean, I just yeah. drenched in sweat. Supernatural. I'd go hard on Supernatural. Yeah, Supernatural so good. Plus, uh, the great music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like or, real music. Or I'll even just do the one where you're like boxing some fake thing, and then like. You just get way too intense with it. So you look ridiculous, but it's <laughs> it's, it's, so it's totally nobody cares. Um, so but, but giving myself grace with what a workout yeah. looks like. Like I don't have to go to the gym to get a workout in. I can do it on the ankles. I can go outside yeah. and go for a walk. I can. And so I kind of like just kind of wrote down all these things that I would allow myself to count as a workout yeah. just so that I'm doing more and I don't have to do it within this certain time frame, just, just needing to get it done. And I think that's helped me stay more consistent. Um, you know, I hired a, I hired a um, kind of a health coach, uh, mm-hmm. naturopathic doctor yeah. guy. Um, I don't think he's actually a doctor, but naturopathic guy. And uh, when we first started, he was like, yeah, I just want you to do uh, this one workout. And he gave us a list of workouts for both my wife and I. Yeah. And it was eight minutes long. That was it. It was just a very, it was like, do like one set of push-ups, <laughs> yeah. of like eight push-ups and you're done with that. And then move on. And I want you to do four squats. That's yeah. it. It was so simple. And I like I'm like looking at them I'm like come on I mean I go to the gym regularly right. but what I've learned is like he does that not he doesn't care if you're working out I mean, he doesn't care how you're working out yeah he wants to get the rhythm and the habit of working mm-hmm. out and so I have another friend actually talks about when he doesn't want to go to the gym and he's like I'm not feeling good I'm not feeling right he's like I I just tell myself I'm gonna go to the gym and do one set mm-hmm. one set of something doesn't yeah. matter I might just go do one set of arm curls and I'm gonna leave yeah of course when you get there and yeah. you do the set. You're like, all right, well, I'll yeah. do another set. And then yeah. pretty soon you're at a 45 minute workout or an hour workout and you're like, okay, I did it. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to do, you yeah. know, give yourself some grace. Yep. Show up. All right. That was great. You said there was a couple things you've done. One was more consistent workout. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, yeah. I was sitting here trying to think of what that was because I did have a, a <laughs> second thing. Give myself some grace. And then the other thing is to be more intentional about being present at the time I have with my kids. Yeah. And so just... My wife, we talked to a an older couple one day. I don't remember even the setting how it how it came about. And she asked her what's what's her advice for raising kids. And she said, Say yes more than you say no. And I thought, what a simple thing. Mm. But so true. We we say no all the time to things because we're the parents and we're trying to protect and mold them into these, you know, people we want yeah. them to be sometimes they just want to play and yeah. you're like you're busy and like you say no because you feel like you got to work but you yeah. probably don't have to go do that thing right yeah. then and there and so just trying to be more pre- present with them and say yes more to playing dolls yeah. and just stopping what i'm doing to to be with them more and that's we i've done that more so over the past probably yeah you know three months or so and it's it's special Dude, parents are, yeah, we're, we tend to default to no on everything because yeah. we have an agenda in our head with things yeah. got to get done. Yeah. I've been trying to ask myself that question lately is like, is this really a no or is yeah. it just a break in what I was expecting? Yeah. So like, Hey dad, can we jump in the pool? Like my kids are always want to jump in the pool. Like, can we go swimming? I'm always like, no. And then I'm, and they're like, why not? And I'm like, 
I don't. I don't know because I don't. I don't want to go down there and you're gonna go in the pool and then you're gonna beg me to jump in with you and then I gotta go take a shower afterwards because I'm all full of chlorine. I'm like, these are always stupid answers. Like, yeah. <laughs> what was I gonna do instead? Go scroll TikTok? Like, right, I mean, like, right. yeah. So just I'm trying to like, yeah, doing the same. I'm trying to say, how do I say yes? Or or even if it's like I'm in the middle of something, mm-hmm. I can stay. I can say yes for a minute, and yeah. that usually fills their cup enough. It's yeah. like, okay, I can't play with you right now. Or, you know, I, I could say I can't play with you right now, or I could say, yeah, I can play with you for a minute, but then I got to yeah. go back to work. And they're like, yeah. okay, and I play for a minute, and then I get them to go to work, and they're 99 percent of the time, it's like that's all they needed. I'll be I'll be working at my computer at home, and my daughter will come in and sit on my lap, and she'll see them on my computer, and she'll be like, let's look at yeah. mermaids, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and then I'm like, and I'll be like, ah, oh, just stop my thought, and then yeah. it, but. Just, just do it. Yeah. And then we Google image search mermaids and yep. we look at the cool mermaids. Yeah. We've been playing lately. My kids. Also, if you're going to do that pro tip, <laughs> just Google image search cartoon mermaids. Because <laughs> if you just Google image mermaids, search mermaids, yeah. it's a lot of creepy, weird yeah, stuff a, that pops up. There's so a do weird, there's a cartoon mermaid, mermaids. There's a weird mermaid vibe. Have you heard, do you know about like, the, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. Like yeah. there's a ton of women who just like get yeah, really they, dressed up as yeah. mermaids. And then they go like dunking tanks. And they go, yeah. And yeah. they get photos taken and like. One time my wife and I and uh, Rosie were walking on the beach and there's just a mer- like a real life mermaid just sitting there with a photographer. I mean, yeah. she had a 20 foot tail yeah. and she was like sitting there in the waves. I'm like, what, what is going on here? And then I found out that's like a thing. <laughs> it's a that thing they now. just do. Yeah. Yeah. So cartoon yeah. mermaids, guys. Cartoon mermaids. Uh, one thing my kids have, you, you can play with this if you want. Maybe you have, is we've been playing with the... Uh, um, Mid journey. I do Eluna. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just Same did a video yeah. on this like yeah. two days ago. Really? Yeah. I pay for a subscription to yep. Eluna just so that my kid can tell me things that's yes. in their head, yep. and then they can see what that looks like, that and then is, I get yeah, to I see thing. what's in I my kid's head. Mid journey. I probably do more pictures for my kids. Like, yeah. Dad, let's make a mermaid who's on a beach <laughs> with a you know with a crown. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And like, they love it because they're making art out of it's like you, their thoughts. It's yeah. You get to visualize what's in your kid's brain. Like, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm playing with this idea. I'm sure I'm sure it exists or it will exist. I'm not going to build it so anybody can take the idea. But I, it's so simple. It's like you can go to like ChatGPT, right? So you could use this as a plugin, but you could go there and say, hey, write me a story about blank, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And then they have like 11 labs, which can read perfectly any yeah. text that's written. So what I would love to have is an app that every single night your kids write their own bedtime stories. Yeah. And it gives you some very simple prompts. Like give me the character's name and you write that in and, yeah. and your kids do it, right? Yeah. So, okay, tell me their name. Uh, you know, like Miss Johnson. Okay, great. It's gonna be in like, what do you want her to be? What kind of creature? You write yeah. that, and then you just have it a story, and then it reads your kid a bedtime story in a very like nice, calm like. Yeah. I'm like, how cool would that be? Is every night they have a customized bedtime story yes. around what they want. One day, I'm minding my own business. I get a text message from Brandon, and it's an <laughs> audio file, and it's a story, a kid's story about a volcano. Named Farty McButt. Named Farty McButt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in, I'm pretty sure it's in Brandon's voice. It wasn't my voice. That one wasn't. I did, well, actually, I might have sent you the one of my voice. The one I finally went with was not my voice. But uh, you know what? Keep talking for a second. I'm going to pull it up. I didn't want. I did not want a child's a bedtime story. You didn't. I just you was didn't trying want a to go about, story about Farty McBuck. I did. So <laughs> no, but it's um. I think it's interesting how, like he said, you know, you can you can think of these things now and have them done in in high like high fidelity. Yes. Right. High quality. Instantly done by, you know, yeah. AI and and it it, it brings reality to these yeah. ideas and these needs for. I mean, I don't have kids, but like you know, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, we we do a lot of AI even. When we're designing things and stuff, it, it it's interesting to be able to to pop it in and I'm not gonna find it, but 
It's okay. I'm stalling. That's okay. Keep yeah. going. Keep, keep <laughs> going. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. It's on January uh -oh. 1st. I said we did it. Uh -oh. This is June 9th. Okay, so I'm past that one. That's okay. We can edit all those. Pausing here. Well, we'll keep it in. We'll just have a little chat here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really want to find Farty McBucks. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> July 20th. It's not, um, it's not that good, actually. No, it's really good. <laughs> Really good. So is it a story you wrote or sorry AI uh, Chat wrote? ChatGPT wrote it based on my kids. It's basically the idea I had. They wrote it. It wrote it based on my ideas, and then I had eleven. And then you read it out it. loud. Yeah, it read it, and then it read uh, it. even made a picture in Mid Journey about it. Yeah. Okay. She had closer. nothing to do with it. No, I did very little of it. It was awesome though. Yeah, on, which is the interesting thing about um, the, both the visual and the audio. Yeah. That it can concoct. Dude, people are doing that though. They're like creating kids books. Out of thin air, essentially, and then selling them on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you want to sell it soon. Soon it'll be like, yeah, the child's will it's be. This is what I want, and then it does it in. Yeah. It'll do it in some Disney star's voice, yeah, right. or or uh, the parents' voice, mm -hmm. and it'll do it instantly. Dang. Okay, I'm not gonna find it. Whatever. This is a podcast. This is live. It's, whatever. Yeah. It's a podcast. Yeah, it's a, we're recording. Yeah. How would I find? I'm the it? host How would now. I search? How would I search for like? Farty McButt for a song or for a, for a video. On How about here. this? You go back to work, and I'll find it, it on my phone. Okay, I did text with you on point. I think it was a group text with you, me, Matt, and Stetson, maybe. But anyway, all right. Everybody is getting this story. <laughs> We're gonna move on. All right. Next question. Yep. Uh, future. What do you want your legacy to be? Or another way to phrase that is, what do you want people to say about you? After you die. Wait, did you find it? I got it. Oh, that quick? I'm way better at yeah. that. How, how did you find it? This is why you pay me. All right, let's put it let's put it up to the microphone. Land, there lived a volcano named Mount Farty McButt. Mount oh. Farty McButt was unlike any other volcano in the world. For instead of emitting smoke and ash, it would yell, fart in my butt whenever it was about to erupt. All right, that's One day, the villagers... <laughs> tell the whole story. And that was based on the prompt my son wanted to do, a song about, or a, a story about a volcano. And he would, all, my, my son always just yells out, like, fart in my butt, because there's a song on Spotify. Yeah. Do you guys know about the fart songs on Spotify yet? No. And the butt songs and the, no. it, like, there's so many of them. And these people just, and poop songs, these people put on Spotify, these just songs, and they have just millions of views. They're making tons of money. They're making so much money. Because kids love poop jokes. Yes, it's constant. They're so, yeah, the space farts that's a that's a good one uh big fan of that one uh big fan of fart in my butt uh that's, there's so many good ones yeah wait to yeah wait to get into please this don't world. mention this when yeah. my child is here later oh it's or, uh, so many. The, it will be the end of yeah me. it's yeah it's all we listen to it's like fart in my butt anyway moving on what do you want your legacy to be what do you want people to say about you after you're gone so for me it's about i always say that building wealth is less about us and more about who we get to impact because of the wealth and the time freedom mm -hmm. that we have. And I always say, I, I never want to make money on a community without being of service to that community. And so I want my legacy to be about what I'm doing with the wealth and the time freedom and about how I'm positively impacting my community. And I feel like the more I grow, the, the larger impact that that'll have. And so like on a small scale now, like every deal that I do, every house that I walk into, like I don't look at a seller appointment as like a deal I need to close. Like I don't use sales tactics to close deals. I just truly try to be of service. And what I've learned through these 
multiple seller appointments I've been on is, is a lot of the times I'm able to help solve the problem without buying the house. And sometimes that costs me time and it costs me money, but I still feel an obligation to do that anyway. And so when people mention my name, I immediately want them to think that that is a guy who tried to help everybody he, whose paths he came across. Like, I don't want them to think that he was some real estate mogul with hundreds of doors. I, I don't, I don't want that. What I want is when people hear my name and think of me, that they think of the service um, and leading with people first that I try to really implore in my culture and my business. It's all about taking care of people. We've, we've walked in houses and paid people's mortgages for a couple of more months because they didn't need to sell their house. They needed time. Mm. And so we'll pay their mortgage. We, a guy was uh, wanting us to make him an offer on his house so he could uh, fix his car so that he could continue to go to work every day. He didn't, he didn't need to sell his house. He needed a car that worked. So we fixed his car. Mm. Did that cost me money? Yeah. Did it cost me time? Yeah, but that's what he needed. He didn't, he didn't need to sell his house, so he didn't try to buy it. We just tried to solve the problem. So I just want people to think of me as a person who cared about people that he didn't know and wanted to try to help everybody that he could. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. All right, final questions of the wrap-up. What are you excited about? I know you got a book coming out. Yeah, I do. I do. I have a book coming. I'm definitely excited about the book coming out. What's it called tentatively? Uh, yeah, real estate deal maker tentatively. Okay. That could change, but so far that's that's what it's called. Do you have a publishing uh, date yet or approximate? Uh, I don't. Okay. I don't. Uh, well, I do, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So I'm going to pretend that I probably don't. winter. I'm guessing is that coming up? Yeah, know. yeah. I don't know. Wow. Well, uh, February is the date that comes to mind, but okay. I could be wrong. Um, Feels about right from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely excited about the book. Um, um, I'm excited. Honestly, I'm, I've, I've never really been excited about growing or scaling my business. I've kind of been comfortable. I don't even know if comfortable is the right word, but I've always been a guy that says like, I, I don't need a house flipping business that flips, you know, hundreds of houses a year. Like when I set my goals every year, I typically have the same amount of goals for doors and flips each year because you know, I didn't feel like I needed to grow beyond kind of yeah. where I was. And all that's changed, I think, in the last six to 12 months as I've hired people and felt the weight of responsibility of wanting to make sure that they're good and then started to realize that, no, you're, like, you've been chosen to do this. I need good people to help good people. Yeah. And so I feel this now more than ever is this responsibility to grow. So I'm kind of excited for what that looks like in the future and where this is gonna go. Like I never intended, like I didn't expect to be here, right? But it wasn't my plan, it was God's plan. Like, you know, I met you, I don't even know if you know this. I met you at the Bigger Pockets conference, like the first one real one they did in in Nashville. That's and a I, while ago. And I met you because I accidentally got the dates wrong and I got there a day early. Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> and you got there, you were there early. And so like, I saw you standing in line at one of the coffee bars and we chopped it up and I told you, I think at the time I was, they had just started the rookie podcast 
And I was like, hey, if, you know, I kind of told you my story and I was like, they need somebody to come on the rookie podcast. And you're like, oh, you like 30 doors in your first year. You should come on the main show. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, he's, I'm never going to hear from him again. And then <laughs> sure enough, like a couple of months later, I got a call and got to do the main show with you and David Green. And I remember being terrified. That was the second podcast interview I'd ever done in my life. Oh, funny. The very se- the first <laughs> podcast I'd ever done was a very small show. So like, uh, it was just, you know, to go from that to that being my second podcast interview was crazy. But part of that, you know, again, I try to add value to people and, and, and be of service to people. And so I kind of stayed in contact with Kevin and tried to add value to him over time. And that led to me being able to now like be a part of the bigger pockets community. And none of that was on my plan. Like I just, wanted to provide a life for my wife that I didn't feel like I could do before. And all that's got me here in Maui talking to you. So mm. it's, it's, uh, I'm excited for what my business is going to look like in five years. I love it, man. Yeah. All right. Where do people find out more about you? Instagram is the best place. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram. The Henry Washington. Yep. Or you can go to www.cuattheclosingtable.com. Ooh, fancy. All right, dude. Appreciate you. You're a rock star. Thank you. Thank you, bud. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback. And we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash best life. Abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.